Hi, I'm Damien Gillis, and I took a left to the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from a place out of reach from Trump, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I wasn't strong enough to be a personal trainer, so I gave my two-week notice. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who are pessimistic about German sausage. They are the worst. <laughs> she has a phobia about over-engineering buildings, so it's a complex, complex, complex. Nancy. <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> and he just had a near sex experience with his girlfriend because she flashed him, Scott. <laughs> oh my God. And she shot someone with a starter pistol. It was race related. Annette. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Oh. It must be the rainy, foggy weather that's affecting your brain. <laughs> oh, yeah, and you know, the fact that I, I'm, I'm under the weather, I gotta really apologize for the sound of my voice. Not that it's a great voice to begin with, but yeah. you know. No, we're just glad you're up and moving around. Yes. Guys, welcome back. So today we're gonna play that interview we were supposed to play last week. We're a bit behind schedule. I apologize for that, but we're gonna be playing the interview with Michael Shermer. But first, awesome. let's do a bit of chit chat. Did you guys hear about this uh, U.S. ambassador? His name is Peter Hoekstra. He had a press conference in the Netherlands. Now, this guy in 2015 uh, was uh, making claims about there being chaos uh, done by the Islamic movement in, in the Netherlands. He was saying that uh, the cars were being burned and the politicians were being burned. There were no go zones. Well, he finally had to meet the press and basically the uh, Netherlands press basically held him up to uh, held his feet to the fire so he denied the claims and the press decided to play back what he said and the reporters kept pressing him and he, re- he refused to answer at one point one reporter says you know well, this is the Netherlands buddy you have to actually answer questions here oh. boom whoa yeah. this is how the press should be not the kind of easy yeah. peasy thing we have no, around here thank, thank goodness for the so I, I investigative suppose, journalists. I suppose he's not being recalled as the ambassador, though, right? That's no, I don't know. So far, he's still there. Uh, did you guys hear that uh, Cosmos is actually returning? The series yeah, Cosmos. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Returning Sounds to National great. Geographic and Fox for a second season in the spring of 2019. I can't uh, wait to see okay. that happen. Why is Fox yeah. picking up? Why is Fox picking up Cosmos? <laughs> It doesn't matter. I mean, as long as they are. I mean, well, that scares them, me. What's their ulterior motive? Uh, for them, it's about ratings and money, first of all, right? It's not mm. about what necessarily the message says. A perfect example of that is The Simpsons. Woo-hoo! The Simpsons have been playing on Fox forever, and The Simpsons regularly mock the Fox Network on their show. But because the show brings in viewers and brings in money, that's all they care about. So. This is why Fox is anyway. So Fox yeah, is going to be cool. airing the hmm. Cosmos. I can't wait to see it. 
Um, did you guys hear that story about the, there was an 11-year-old, this is in Canada, that reported being attacked by her, by scissors-wielding man. Yeah. And he, uh, she said she said he cut her her job. <gasps> so then politicians reacted. The prime minister reacted. Uh, politicians came out of the booth and said, this is unacceptable. Well, it turns out when the police looked into it, it never happened. I, that was so, I know, it was so unusual, Such an unusual for something story. like that to happen. Yeah. So the, the family apologized, but I mean, this is a perfect example of, wow, okay, you know what, you just, you just create a big mess out of for nothing here. Like, I mean, it happens every now and then. I remember years ago, I think I have to go back 20, 25 years, there was this young black woman in New York that claimed she was swarmed by a group of white guys who um, cut her, and it was just terrible. And everybody reacted because yes, it was, yes. and she was so credible. And as it turned out, she you know, I guess wanted the publicity or thought she was doing the right thing in order to bring attention, you know, to racial um, problems. Mm-hmm. But it backfired, backfired totally big backfired. time on well, her. Yeah, I feel very sorry for this little girl because she's only 11, child. and I yeah. hope it doesn't, you know, follow her or stigmatize mm-hmm. her in terms of telling the truth or whatever is she And I sure hope it wasn't over. a political motivation to you. Yeah. It could be an 11-year-old that just said something stupid. Yeah. yeah. I heard that the politicians actually forgave her, though. No, yeah, I think... They I kind think, of looked at it with a... Yeah. Well, and, and even the police... Yeah, they're not they charging like, well, her. At but, least she's okay. It never happened. Yeah. It means that, you know, there was no crime and, and she's okay, right? But in, in these times were of uh, Islamic terrorism... And where the public, a lot of the public, especially in the states, are on edge over uh, jihadists and stuff like that. This is the last thing that needs to happen. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff. That's the last thing that needs to happen. You know, there's enough tension as it is between people of not trying not to give any power to the bigots. And when you have a story like that, a fake story like like that that happens, it it, it just undermines credibility when a real one comes out. Yeah, but yeah. but but it's an eleven year old. You yeah, know, know, if it had been a twenty you know, year old, a 20 it, year old yeah. it would have been would have been different. But what whatever this little child is going through in her home situation or reading the news, whatever, she's eleven. You mm-hmm. gotta yeah. cut her a little slack. Cut her some slack. Well, and and her like some I say, the politicians the time, have cut her though, some slack, right? At They're, the same time, though. Uh, she also needs to realize what consequences uh, making up something has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe the school counselors are, you know, are working with her. That with would the police, that would the help, school, but, the uh, emergency yeah. cert. Because I mean, they all got involved. Right? This is like the boy who cried wolf, but yeah. it's yeah. the girl who cried hijab. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys hear that the, uh, the divers have found the biggest flooded cave in the world? In Mexico. Mm. Now, this cave system is actually 347 kilometers. Oh, my goodness. And this is near oh, Tulum, near as the sack have fun tub. exploring that. Exactly. They say this, this cave system is so vast, it might have actually impacted the Mayan civilization. Because, of course, the Mayan had a, this thing for cenotes, which is an underground watery caves. And they felt it was their underworld and all that. So. Mm. So they've connected. They they realize that a lot of these caves are all connected, 
and oh. 347 kilometers of cave. That's a lot of caves. I just wonder if they'll find any artifacts. Oh, I'm sure they find, well, you know, near the entrances for sure. Yeah. Uh, this, anyway, it's going to be very interesting on the uh, yeah. archaeological level. That is very cool. Uh-huh. They also found something in uh, Greece, didn't they? That's very a good question, recently. you know. They probably have. You, you always find something in Greece. And finally, last but not least, did you guys hear about Pope Frank? You know Pope Frank that everybody seems to like so much? Well, he apologized to Chilean victims of sex abuse by priests. And there have been massive protests in San Diego, uh, Santiago. Three churches were torched. This is Chile. This is South America. Catholic South America. Uh, there's a reverend, uh, Fernando Caradima. He was accused in 2010. Uh, charges were dropped. In 2011, the Vatican found him guilty and sentenced him to a, quote, lifetime of penance and prayer. Uh-oh. Which, of course, you know... The, Isn't that what priests do in the first place? Yeah. The, the, so, so the public has not been happy with this. And then Pope Frank came in and he, he kind of doubled down on it, basically saying uh, the uh, accusers need to provide proof and uh, they're guilty of uh, slander. Which, of course, then the public just went nuts. And this is when they burned down those, those churches. Oh, my gosh. So, and, and the Pope Frank, of course, then he, uh, he, he, he appointed the, his, uh, the, the, the guy's uh, Caradima's protege, which is a guy named Juan Barros, as bishop of Chile. The power of Christ compels you! Oh, so it's a, it's a big, just, big yeah. Once pop, once he stepped in at that, I mean, he couldn't. He just get made it. things yeah, way just, worse, yeah, buddy. Kept making way, it way worse. worse. Way way worse. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, so 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 to have like I said, South America, which is huh. usually very religious, and to have Chile come in and actually burn down three churches, that's going to be an interesting story to keep an eye on. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's it for that, my dear Nancy. Well, it's really funny because, you know, we've started this new top 10 um, feature. So <laughs> today's top 10, kudos, no, I shouldn't say kudos to Pope Frank, but our top 10 today is the most and least religious countries. <laughs> so, Ooh, this sounds interesting. Yeah. This is by request. This was something uh, that you requested, Scott. So here, here we That's go. I said this sounds really interesting. It is. <laughs> okay, let's start with the with the most religious countries, and then we'll kind of work our way to the least. Okay, at number ten of the most religious countries is Afghanistan. Mm. Now it is the most religious country. Ninety-seven percent. Jeez. of the population is religious. Number nine, Somalia, 98%. Number eight, Mauritania, 98%. And these are the... Po- All the great fashions po- of culture and intellectual <laughs> thought so far. Yeah, this, uh... and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder this one. Is it 
Djibouti. Djibouti? Yeah, 98%. Yemen, number five, 99%. Oh, my God. Sri Lanka, 99%. Now, all of these people are saying that they're, and they participate, but because if they said anything else, they wouldn't be here that much longer. So, but anyway, Niger, number three, 99%. Number two, Malawi, 99%. Anybody want to guess at what's going to come in at the at the top? Hmm. Saudi Arabia. Close. Ethiopia. <laughs> Ethiopia. Oh, well, that that just Ethiopia. that just tops out the list. I mean, that's ninety nine percent feel religious in Ethiopia. Hmm. I don't know where in Saudi See, Arabia it doesn't happen. Isn't is on it, the on is the it list. Just that's me or, or is the more? Oh well, well, we'll make the comment after. I want to hear the other. Okay, here we go. The least religious countries. Number 10, the UK, 30% say that they're religious. Number 9, Israel, 30% say they're religious. The Netherlands, 26, say that they're religious. Then comes Hong Kong at 26%. Czech Republic at 23%. I wouldn't have thought they were the least religious I list, but they I knew that the Czech Republic would be in there. Yeah. Because I, I lived there. It's, oh, it's, it's one of those... Lots of atheists there. Yeah. It's true. one of those uh, countries that people don't think about, the Czech Republic, but there's a lot yeah. of great thing there, apparently. Yeah. Norway at 21%. Sweden, 19%. Pretty of close course. with Norway. And then Estonia... At 16%. Japan, 13%. No surprise. Anybody want to guess what the least religious country is? Don't even have any idea. No, no idea. No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't either. China, 7%. Oh, say that of course, yeah, of course. So there we are, the most wow. and the most and the and the least. Any surprises there that anybody? Well, you can't help but think, and you, you look at the people in, in the most religious countries, uh, versus the least, and what separates these two lists is very very obvious. You know, you can't you yeah. can't think of you know all these people that say, oh, religion is good for people. Well, if it's so good, how come all these people that are super religious and the most religious countries they're all bastions of poverty? Violence, ignorance, you know. To use a Trumpism, they live in shitholes. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you look at the least religious countries, you you have the Scandinavian countries, the best standard of living in the world, you know, where at least the, the most peaceful countries in the world. Japan. You can't help but yeah. make a correlation and a causation here. Yeah, I mean, there goes the you have to have God to be moral argument. Right yeah, exactly, there. exactly. Yeah. This whole, yeah, you can't be moral without God. Well, you know what? The stats kind of prove otherwise here. Yeah, Yeah, anyway, interesting. uh, It does make sense. The Baltic countries have been the last ones to uh, actually convert to Christianity, and uh, paganism is still well and alive there. So the fact that Estonia is in that list does not surprise me at all. Hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that list, Nancy. That was great, as usual. Yeah, they're fun lists. Exactly. That was awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on with our other uh, segment that we always love, Cole. Another Brilliant Moment, brought to you by religion. Okay, I've got some nice little stories here. 
Now, on a uh, recent episode of her Mission America radio show, Linda Harvey. Do you guys know her, Linda Harvey? No? Well, she interviewed fellow... Is that Wonder Woman at one time? (laughs) No, that's not. She interviewed a fellow anti-LGBT activist, Peter LaBarbera, of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. About the importance of working to, quote, re-horrify society about the sin of homosexuality. Uh Uh-oh. Now think about what she just said there. We need to re-horrify people about homosexuality. Is that a word? Well, it's a made-up word for sure, but the, 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 the thought behind it is... Yeah, we need to scare people about gays. Assuming that somewhere or other there was, that we thought it was, people thought it was a horrific you know, uh, idea to begin with. I mean, it's just, uh, let's go back to the, let's go back to the 14th century, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And may, may I also point out, like, like in a country like, for example, right here in Canada, we've had gay uh, marriage for what, 20 years now? At least. Somewhere like that. And you know what? The sky didn't fall. I know the uh, the Armageddon didn't happen, and life just kept on going as it always has. No, no, Amazing. Just home prices in Vancouver went through the roof. That's all. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and the Fraser Valley. And a lot of pl- a lot of places are much better decorated now for that. Yes. Actually, there's been a positive <laughs> net gain to this. Positive net gain. The culture's gone up. You know, uh, people are happier here. Yeah, wow, exactly. what a concept. Yeah, I would like to know what exactly is so horrific about homosexuality. <sighs> While the two lamented that homosexuality is now widely accepted in America, with Harvey voicing her alarm that is even it's even welcome in public schools where, quote, predators are allowed to use the LGBT clubs to target children for recruitment. Where's this stupid idea of recruitment thing come from? What, what was yeah. the last scandal? Wasn't there just a scandal in the last couple of weeks? I don't know, somebody religious... Well, there's a scandal. No, there's a scandal. <laughs> we just we just can't just, remember. We can't remember I, I, them I all. I can't differentiate the scan- no. religious scandals sure. anymore. But somebody doing a goat or something, or you know, and and they're justified. They're trying to justify it, and it's like, look, you're going to go interspecies and try to justify it based on your religion, but you won't let a man or a woman love another man or a woman. Okay, like, uh, yeah, just yeah. get over yourselves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, these these idiots are, are going to fail, obviously. And Poor goat. Good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> Poor goat, imagine waking up to that guy beside you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's another story. Another day, another Christian horny farm again. Oh, Guys, you know, this, this has become a... a a um, semi-annual tradition. The world is going to end. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, On a regular yeah. basis. Yeah, <laughs> there's a semi-annual at least at end least, of the world. At, at, least. at least twice a year. But this year it's going to end on June 24th. Oh, okay. Yeah. Set your calendar. Set your calendar. Uh, if the doomsday prophecies of the past are anything to go by, then you should take absolutely no notice of this, by the way. Uh, someone has read the Bible really, really closely, unlike oh, all the I'm other sure times, right? And the world is actually going to end. This is it. This is, this is it. This no is it, fooling right? around. No fooling around this time. Okay. So conspiracy theorist Mathieu Jean-Marc Joseph Rodrigue has highlighted a passage in the book of Revelation as a sign of 2018 could be the Earth's last year. The passage reads, Quote, He was given authority to act for 42 months. Oh my 
gosh, he, he found the I, sentence. I'm so convinced. So convinced. <laughs> so, well, so okay. Rodrigue thinks that yep. when the passage is added to the crop harvest and price, it indicates a shocking truth. I have no idea how he got that. Mm. So, Mm-mm-mm. and then he wrote, Rodrigue wrote, quote, I heard a voice in the middle of the four living beings. Oh, this is wisdom. He who has intelligence can interpret the figure of the beast. It represents the name of the man. His figure is 666. So his conclusion was, when added together, I'm not sure how he gets the data of that, but apparently the sum indicates that the world will end June 24th, 2018. He didn't give any more details than that, so I have, I, I still can't follow how the hell he got there. So apparently I'm not smart enough to figure this out. Yeah, but at least we know what day to party this year. That's, well, yeah, exactly. June 23rd, that's right. The exactly. 23rd, because well, yeah. Yeah. on the 24th, it's all over. It's so. all over. You won't have to right. deal, you won't have yeah, to deal with Yeah, we've got to the uh, 23rd till midnight. Now, if, if you guys have been following by, and remember that if you keep your, your card, your bonus card there, the ninth nth of the world, your 10th one is free. <laughs> so uh, keep an eye on that. <laughs> oh, okay, here's another one. Um... Uh, a California couple is under arrest after police found her. This is a sad story, actually. actually after police found her 13 children emaciated oh, yeah. and oh. shackled to their beds with chains and padlocks in dark and foul smelling surroundings. Disgusting. I, I cannot, I, I honestly, literally cannot read that story. I saw it. I understand it. I've seen the pictures. And at this point, I just have to, I, I, I can't. It's so, you talk about horrific. It is so horrific. How do you, how do you bring these I children just, back? I, I, cannot, I cannot read the details. So that, that, that's what kills me. I've, I've read the entire thing. And yeah. I'm with the state medical people and, and uh, the psychiatrists and stuff. It's going to be a long road for these poor kids. And, and one of them was 29. Uh, yeah. They, she, weighed, she weighed as much exactly. as a 12-year-old. Um, yeah, weighed 80-something pounds. 80, 84 pounds, I think. She's what this, this I, I just, girl weighed. And these, these people, aged 2 to 29, these children, as they're calling them, because they've never experienced life outside of that house. Um, how do you re... How do you bring them back? Like, exactly. they're... How, that's what I wonder too. It's so sad, right? Like, police officers were later shocked to find out that seven of the thirteen children were actually adults, ranging between eighteen and twenty-nine years old. But due to the severe malnutrition, reports indicate the adults being held captive actually looked like children. We get a twenty-nine-year-old that looks like a kid because he's he or she is so severely malnourished. Yeah, I, I did. It's amazing. I, I thought I heard something about the fact that that a couple of them did go to school, but I may be mistaken on that. Mm, they were homeschooled. They were homeschooled. They were homeschooled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they kept, they. I guess they applied for homeschooling three times or something. Well, what, yeah. I, I, this is a, maybe a little controversial because I, I I understand we all understand, but somewhere along the way, wouldn't somebody think to? Maybe report anonymously. Well, it's, wor- it's worse than that because I it- mean they were in Texas. They had a house in Texas that you know that it was the same living conditions, and nobody said anything. Nobody it's worse than you saying because the parents. The the, the name is uh, David Allen Turpin, fifty seven, and Louise Anna Turpin, forty nine. Now James and Betty Turpin, which are the parents of David, so the grandparents. 
and grandparents of the abused children said that, quote, God called on them, referring to the son David and wife Louise, to have as many children as possible. So even the grandparents are complicit in this. Oh. I mean, it's just... They've got nothing to charge them with other than religious stupidity. Yeah. The grandparents also reported that the children were given, quote, very strict homeschooling and that the children were forced to memorize long passages of the Bible. In fact, the family home where the children were tortured and abused is also a registered private school called the Sandcastle Day School. David Turpin is listed as the principal of the school. And the thing is that in the back of my mind it's how many other situations like this are occurring that we know nothing about. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, jeez. It's, 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 it's really, really sad. Um, this one is, uh, it's disgusting. That, like I said, there's these 13 kids, these 13 people now that you've got to try to reintegrate into society. You've got to try and bring them back from whatever hell they're in. And they're still in that hell. There's no getting out of it. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're experiencing life through the filter of torture and... It's going to be a long road to recovery. It's going to be a long... And and the the, the one... You know, the, 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 the child that escaped, they plotted for two years... To get out. To, to get out. And she did it. She had another no. sibling with her. And the, the other sibling just got really scared and went back into I the, did not know the about the two years of plotting. No, I didn't two know about that. I knew that she escaped with her sibling and then the sibling got scared. She did, back. yeah, she went back. Oh, um, but it, Can you imagine what the, it took? The, you know, yeah, to, the, the, the courage that it courage, took her yes, to, exactly. to, uh, to go and report that. And I can't imagine what it's like for the first responders who showed up. You know the police and and then the fire department and the ambulances and to see the yeah, conditions. Yeah, no, it's just I can't. We're in. I mean, I've read it once all the way through. We're talking about it now, but it's just just and how and how sure. how did the cops feel having to arrest these animals? Well, <laughs> the, the the article doesn't say, but the, the bail has been set at nine million dollars each. So these people are staying that's there cheap for a while. For, that's cheap for Yeah, them. and I hope they do throw the book at him. Uh, because I, I yeah. think they're going to throw the book. I think they may be facing life in jail. And what's even more sad is, you know, this is actually not the first story we've heard of this, like that. Like that. It's it's a com- it's almost a common story of these, these people being held like that against their will. And so it's pretty sad, but they, it yeah. really gets, it goes to show what brainwashing religion can do for you. Or well, you. we wish them Sick. we wish them all the best. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, thank you guys. Thank you for your thought on this. So let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll be talking to we'll be playing the interview with Michael Shermer about his new book. Oh wow! So stay with us. A Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast, and all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. 
And what the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. People like Ray Comfort are fond of saying, what use is half a wing, right? Have you ever seen a f***ing penguin? (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets. All right, well, joining us on the line is none other than the incredible Michael Shermer. Now, you guys might not know this, but last time I spoke to Michael Shermer, I've got this picture of him kicking my ass at arm wrestling at Imaginal Religion. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. I have a picture of that somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Left of the Valley yet again. Nice to talk to you guys. So today we're discussing your new book. But before we do that, I know you're very well known amongst atheist circles, obviously. You might not be as well known in some other circles, especially maybe up here in Canada. Maybe you'd be so kind to give us a brief introduction as to who Michael Shermer is. The potted biography. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm the uh, publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which is a, a quarterly magazine of the Skeptic Society. We're a 501c3 nonprofit science education organization. Our thing is promoting science and reason and critical thinking. And um, and then I, I write a monthly column for Scientific American called, appropriately enough, Skeptic. And I've been doing that for, let's see, 205 consecutive months as of this month. Wow. And, wow. Um, and then I'm a professor part-time at uh, – I'm an adjunct professor. Technically, I'm a presidential fellow, which is a fancy name for uh, adjunct prof, at uh, Chapman University. I teach a course called Skepticism 101, uh, basically teaching these 18-year-olds with brains of mush how to, how to think <laughs> <laughs> critically. Uh, and then, you know, I write my books and, and do public talks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the, the in brief summary. I live in Santa Barbara, California now, where I hate to tell you because I have a feeling it's cold where you are. It was, <laughs> it was in the mid-70s today. Oh, it's oh, terrible. It's terrible. Oh, the pain to, of it to all. To be fair, though, for Canada, we live in like the warmest place. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I think it's 30, right. 34 right now. <laughs> no, oh, it's used for that global warming now, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so I guess we're talking about your new book uh, that, that that just came out, "Heavens on Earth." Now, if I'm just reading some. You've got some incredible, incredible. Uh, 
a high praise here already. <laughs> like you get some high praise from Jeff Goldblum from uh, yes, uh, the Grass Tyson. I mean, oh, wow. good day, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, those are uh, good friends. Yeah, so those you know blurbs on the back of a book, of course, are gotten you know months before the book comes out. But what's really nice to see is reviews by people I don't even know, and and in publications. The New York Times just came out last week with with a, a positive review, so that was nice. Uh, but yeah, the, my favorite one is from Jeff Goldblum. I got ten Goldblums out of a possible ten Goldblums. Wow. <laughs> 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 But it sounds pretty good. <laughs> I, th- I like what Neil deGrasse Tyson said. He said, Michael Sherman is a beacon of reason and an ocean of irrationality. Hello. Yeah. yeah. yeah super, he's really good at coming up with uh, punchy one-liners. I, I have a feeling he's, he's gotten practice from uh, doing tweets, uh, <laughs> measured tweets, not like our commander-in-chief. <laughs> <laughs> Even high praise from, oh, my God, Deepak Chopra. Can you believe that? He got a high praise well, from Deepak Chopra. Deepak and I are kind of friends now. You know, we, we, so? we've been at odds for, at each other for a long time. And um, but we just decided, really, thanks to the intervention of my wife, Jennifer, to uh, actually go down to his center uh, and participate in his program, which is, you know, meditation and yoga and and the tea and diet and, you know, the whole thing. Uh, And it does make a difference, you know, leading that certain kind of lifestyle. Uh, You don't have to believe in the woo, he tells me, which is good because I don't, uh, for it to work. Uh, You know, so in in any case, you know, I think it's better to try to understand the worldviews of people who differ from us. The the world's already too tribal. We don't need more tribes. So I just decided I would reach out and give it a try. And he's been super uh, open to talking to me about this. We're doing an event, actually, in New York City. Uh, Actually, it will have been done when you air this. So, um, you know, we just sit down and talk in front of an audience and see what we can uh, find out uh, about uh, our different worldview differences. So that's actually a chapter in Heavens on Earth. This is a chapter devoted to uh, that what, what I call the Eastern wisdom traditions because I, I didn't – it's not really just straight Buddhism. Deepak is sort of a Western Buddhism, which is you know really experiencing quite a resurgence in America now. There's a bunch of new books about uh, um, Buddhism and, and why it works and why it's true and so forth. So – uh, I think it's in terms of what I'm trying to do in Heavens on Earth, talking about the afterlife and immortality. You know, they don't really believe in anything remotely like the Western uh, religious traditions of the afterlife. It's it's more like a just kind of a continuum. You know, everything is conscious. The whole universe is conscious, and and that you know, physical manifestations in the form of you know, human bodies or rocks or whatever are all just different shades of consciousness. And so, when you die, according to Deepak and and, and these Buddhists, you just return to where you were before. Uh, which is, you know, I don't know where that is, <laughs> uh, but I'm hoping to find out. <laughs> not, not anytime soon. I, I mean, when I'm just talking to Deepak, <laughs> I'm, I'm in no hurry to find out what actually happens after I'm gone. Yeah, with my chance, I'll be reincarnated as a rock anyway. <laughs> so, so yeah, but then you'll be somebody's pet rock, which is not the Japanese. <laughs> So your book now, this heavens, heavens on Earth, what is the genesis of that book? What prompted you to search for the afterlife? Well, I'm, uh, I'm now in my 60s, so I guess you could say I'm cramming for the final. 
and uh, although that doesn't that doesn't mean what it used to mean in my father's generation. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, actually, my father died. My uh, my uh, biological father died when he was sixty one. So I'm two years past him now. So, you know, it's it just sort of got me thinking when I hit that 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 uh, point there two years ago. It's like okay, well, hmm. Uh, but but also uh, it's kind of a continuation from my other books, you know, just from a skeptical perspective. Uh, it, it I wasn't simply interested in debunking religious notions of heaven and the afterlife because those are kind of low hanging fruit. Although I have chapters, I have a chapter on those. But really, the interesting thing is is the secular attempts, what I call afterlife or atheists, people that want want to live forever. You know, starting with the radical life extensionists and the you know, low calorie diets and, you know, working your way up to transhumanists and, you know, replacing your body parts and then, uh, you know, the cryonics and, mm-hmm. and then ultimately the idea of uh, the singularity and, you know, Ray Kurzweil and, and, and all these guys talking about uploading your mind into a computer so you can live, you know, longer or mm-hmm. forever. And, uh, you know, when you start reading this literature and going to their conferences, which I did, it's like I felt like I was back in church. It's like, wow. I mean, these guys are really – they are out there. Now, they're all, they all love science and technology. So, you know, that, that part's cool. Um, and, you know, they talk about computers and Moore's Law and all this stuff. So it's kind of fun uh, to read about it and, and go to these conferences. But, you know, at, at bottom, you know, they're really still that ancient striving for there to be something else beyond the physical world that, that we somehow have to transcend this. Now they're not going to wait around and hope, you know, that it turns out there's a God in, in a natural life. They're trying to actually do something about it. Fine. Uh, I don't think they can do it. I don't think it's even doable, even in principle uh, to copy your brain and, and, and put it in a computer. But even if it was, um, you, you know, it's, it, it's so far off that, I, I don't think it really helps us to, you know, invest too much time in it. I, I hope they're, I hope they're right. I'm glad somebody's working on it, but uh, to me, it just seems like it's an enormous investment of time and energy for the very low probability of it paying off, and that you might miss something along the way, like you know, life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, ultimately, the, the, you know, the secular humanists or what I call enlightenment humanism, um, that. Uh, this is it, you know, the here and now. And of course, we all want to live as long as we can. You know, but when they say to me, Shermer, uh, you know, don't you want to live to be 500, 1,000 years old? And I go, well, I don't know. Just get me to 90 without Alzheimer's, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll talk. Uh, you know, if I can just incremental progress. And that's what we've been seeing because of Western science technology and particularly medicine you know more of us are are leading longer lives but you know this idea i debunked this idea that you know people are living twice as long as they used to live no people you know a thousand years ago lived to be 80 90 100 years old just not very many of them Uh, but no one's living past the upper ceiling of about 125 and so that's what these these um transhumanists and singularitarians want they want to break the upper ceiling and the, the technology is just not there now. Uh, and I, I'm not sure it ever will be. But that's kind of the core of the book. Did you happen to do any research on the, the biological aspect of it? I mean, we're talking about the technological and uploading your mind to a computer. But on the biological side of it, there are also people that are trying to extend the, the, the life of the cell and the chromosome and the telomeres and all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really, that's probably the, the most immediate thing that could happen. Although even there, I think we're a long ways from figuring out the telomere problem. Mm. Uh, as 
has been pointed out by many of the uh, medical doctors that have also worked on this is that you know um, the the idea of keeping the telomeres going so cells can reproduce indefinitely. We have a name for cells that reproduce indefinitely. It's called cancer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know that part's not good. You, uh, you know, there's a reason cells call the Hayflick number, the number of times that they can re- replicate, 40, 50, 60 times, depending on the kind of cell, and then that's it. So I have a chapter uh, on why we have to die in the first place. I mean, if if your cells can divide a dozen times or 50 times or whatever, um, and, and particularly when you're an infant, you know, they divide like crazy. And, uh, you know, when babies get a little scratch or cut, it's just unbelievable how fast it heals. Now, why can't we continue doing that into your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way up or indefinitely? And the answer ultimately comes down to the laws of physics like entropy, the second law, and evolution particularly natural selection, um, has an algorithm that grinds through these kind of probability calculations of how much energy to invest in offspring, in the offspring's offspring, in your children's children's children. At some point, multiple generations down the line, you're just not useful in, in terms of investment of resources for evolution. And so... You know, investing energy into cellular repair that goes on indefinitely is just not worth it. It, it, I'm using language that sounds like somebody's up there running the show, but (laughs) uh, you know that's how evolutionary biologists talk. Uh, But but it's just it's just a uh, you know long-term cost-benefit analysis conducted by natural selection, and so. Uh, ultimately, we you know we, we're all going to hit the wall, and, and that's just, the only th- the only way to do something about that would be to genetically re-engineer the cells. But the problem, as I already pointed out, you don't want to create cancer cells. And the additional problem is the, these these systems, these biological systems, are so unbelievably complex that uh, you know the idea of like, well, the human genome, we did that in a couple decades, you know, with Moore's law, we'll be able to you know do this, that, and the other. These are way, way more complicated than just the human genome project, just in terms of like re-engineering cells. And, you know, uh, there are programs to do this, but they've shown next to no progress in decades of research on doing this. And the best aging doctors we have, the only hope they put out there is that you personally may have a better shot at making it to the upper ceiling of about 120 years. But past that, no. It's just, it's just not there yet. Well, that's, sorry, that's my uh, vicious killer dog. His name is Hitch, by the way. After Christmas. oh, really? That's beautiful. Yeah. Very good. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it already. Yeah, he he looks for uh, any Mormons or uh, Jehovah Witnesses coming to the door. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's kind of a downer, though, when I'm when I'm looking at this because I was kind of I don't know naively hoping that Michael Sherman would have the answer to immortality, but I guess I'm wrong on this. <laughs> Michael, well, of course, you can live on through you know your your children or your your work. Oh, I'm doing uh, then. <laughs> you know through making a difference in the world. Of course, as Woody Allen said, I don't want to live on through my work. I want to live on in my apartment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the moment, I'm sorry, it's just not there. And I think it's delusional to think otherwise. Yeah. Again, I'm glad people like Ray Kurzweil are working on the problem. And, you know, he works for Google now. They have, you know, a lot of money to, to do something about it. Uh, but, again, if, if they could just solve specific problems like Alzheimer's, senility, <laughs> heart disease, cancer, just one by one, pluck them off. You those know, that probably, would be real progress that could you know, make a difference in people's lives right now. 
those are probably more worthwhile problems too because if you start aging people all these problems are going to crop up yeah yeah exactly you'll be aging them like 500 years with alzheimer's yeah like yeah baby boomers are starting to hit the wall now that's my generation and uh you know, it's going to be super expensive. Uh, I mean, this is a really a, a huge problem to solve. So, again, forget trying to live to a 1,000. Just you know, solve these specific problems. Then we can worry about living to 150. And who knows what happens if you live 200 years, what other systems start to fall apart yeah. due to things we have no idea because no one's ever made it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in your book, did you take a, any uh, detour into what the, uh, the uh, near-death experience phenomenon? Oh, yeah, I have a whole chapter on near-death experiences and reincarnation because there's plenty of people that say uh, the, the proof is already here. We don't, we don't need any more science. The people have died and gone to heaven and come back. Yeah, so I deal with all those. Uh, it's a pretty deep literature now because people have been studying this since the 1960s. And um, in short, um, there's really no difference between the kinds of experiences that people report having when they almost die and people that drop acid or try (laughs) ayahuasca or have any of these other kinds of altered states of consciousness uh, artificially there's oxygen deprivation to the brain in in pilots and centrifuges they have these kinds of -of out-of-body experiences and you can do it uh, with open brain surgery where they touch parts of the temporal lobe with electrodes and and the, the patient's now awake and Reports, you know, floating up by the ceiling, looking down, seeing the doctors, and That's so on. So cool. That almost sounds like fun. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there was a movie about that. Keith Sutherland played that. Uh, what was that movie? Uh, Flatliners. Mm-hmm. You know, where they tried to see how close they could get to dying and come back. <laughs> you know, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't risk that. But, um, <laughs> uh, but again, you know, and I opened that chapter actually talking about. Um, Eben Alexander, who has that book called A Proof of Heaven, he's a neurologist, so he should know. I mean, he knows more about the brain than I do, and uh, and he knows this literature. And I've been on TV shows with him and asked him about these different experiments and and drugs and so on. And he knows about all that. But it's the power of a personal experience. He personally had this incredible, enlightening uh, trip to heaven, uh, which was you know filled with these vivid colors and clouds and sounds and you know beautiful people and all this stuff. And then I, I, I report a couple of, of these same kind of trips by Oliver Sacks in his autobiography. He talks about dropping acid and, and having sleep deprivation and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and, and then Sam Harris writes in the opening chapter of Waking Up his own trips he's taken through. Um, uh, I think it was – I can't remember what he took, ecstasy or one of those drugs where, you know, just, again, vivid colors, incredible, intense personal emotions and feelings of love and these sorts of things. What's the difference really to an outsider between the person that says, I went to heaven and came back and here's what it looked like and Oliver Sacks who said, I dropped acid and went to heaven and here's what it looked like. You know, to me, they sound the same. Yeah. To the person, the person who takes the trip, you know, it's real for them. Okay, it's real for you, fine. But you know, that doesn't make it real for me and other people who didn't join you on this trip. <laughs> you know, so in short, those those aren't uh, reliable um, forms of evidence for the afterlife, and, and neither is reincarnation, which is even even worse in terms of the research. Um, but you know, still, it's there, so you have to address it. Well, death is a lot less scary if you think it's an acid trip. <laughs> the last thing that happens is you use an acid trip and then you're gone. 
death is less scary then. <laughs> well, it, it brings up uh, an interesting epistemological question of what is truth and how do we know, you know, because the whole point of science over the past five centuries is develop methods to get around you saying, well, this is what's mm-hmm. true for me and me saying, well, this is what's true for me. You know, how do we resolve that? And, you know, we have to have some methods to get around that. And, you know, for some, so, so if somebody says like, like Deepak says, you know, meditation works. Well, what do you mean it works? You mean it works for you or it works for everybody? Or, you know, it works for 60% of the people for these conditions under these circumstances or, you know, whatever. This is what we want to know in medicine and science. Not not just it worked for you. You know, I, I took two aspirin, my headache went away. But no, I took tree bark and my headache went away. Okay. None of this is helpful. These are just anecdotes. We need, you know, something more than that. And, you know, I say, you know, I like dark chocolate and you say you like milk chocolate which is true well <laughs> well we all know dark chocolate is better than milk chocolate <laughs> or if I say you know Stairway to Heaven is the greatest rock song of all time and you say no Freebird is the greatest rock song of all time you know, how do we resolve those truth claims and you know, we can't you know in science we have to get out of our heads and, and, and look at you know what works for you know the collective or the, the community of people studying this particular problem and mm-hmm. and that's what's always been the issue with uh, these personal experiences that people have, these gurus and these shamans and so on that, you know, go to this other world and come back and report what it's like, you know, how do we get out of that person's head and make it replicable? And, and the only way to do it is to go join them and drop acid or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Michael, do you, do you feel that, you know, um, for us, for the species to be making up gods and afterlife and all that. Is it fear that drives us to do that or is it pride or is it, is it like, um, ego? Uh, well, I, I, th- I think fear is not quite the right emotional word. Um, there's a theory actually called terror management theory, which, which, um, goes like this, that, that people are so terrified of dying uh, that they create art and music and literature and cities and you know the whole spur of human creativity is driven by this impulse to push away from uh, death and I debunked this theory pretty thoroughly I think it, it's it's fairly popular actually I was amazed at how much literature there is in this terror management theory but I, I don't think it's true uh, I think the problem is is a little more subtle than that that we can't actually imagine what it's like to be dead I mean go ahead right now close your eyes and imagine you you being dead what, what what's that look like and and it doesn't matter what you come up with that isn't what it's like because to experience anything and imagine anything you actually have to be sentient you have to be conscious and if you're dead you're not conscious so um it, it would really just be boom boom lights out like in in, in yeah. anesthesia you know count backwards from 100 you get to 97 and, and that's it you know lost time I, I until, until 94 but <laughs> yeah, you lost 94 yeah that's pretty good uh, the well, funny thing, Michael, is that just before we came on with you, Kevin and I had that exact conversation of how you know how difficult it is to imagine yourself dead, and it, it is like going to sleep. But the, trying to imagine the nothingness is almost almost impossible. And it's wonderful to hear you echo that because I think that gets into the essence of why it's so difficult for people to just imagine nothing. You can't. You can't it, it. even even saying it, it, it negates it because it, it implies like what happens when you die. 
you know, you go to nothing or you go to this no place. No, you're not going anywhere. Nothing is not a, a condition of the universe. <laughs> it, it's it's not even that. It's just nothing. I mean, it's even hard to say. You know, no thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's not a thing that's. It's not a thing that ceases to exist. It's just nothing. It, it, it's the same problem we have in you know, cosmology. You know, and what was there before the Big Bang? You know, nothing. Well, it sort of implies that to theists, they act like, well, you know, God made the, something, the universe out of nothing. No, you can't even use the word, really, because it, it, it implies it's a thing that doesn't exist. It's not even a thing that doesn't exist. It's not even that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so at some point, we hit this problem of language and cognition. Uh, that, 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 that fiddles with our epistemology that you know, we have to use words to talk and, and the moment you use certain words like nothing it, it, you know, we're, it's like we're talking about a thing but, but it's not even that <laughs> so here we hit this impossible problem you can't know what it's like to be dead but we imagine uh, you know, that we continue on somehow and I think that's a byproduct of our brain so just the way our brains are wired up it starts very early in childhood, you know, like at age two or three, uh, where, you know, kids start to imagine that the, you know, the alligator munches the little mouse. He asks him, well, where's the mouse? Oh, the mouse is in this other place now, and he's and he's hungry, and he misses his mommy. And so they tell these stories. You can tell that they're already dualists. They're natural-born dualists. They, they imagine something continues on. So I think it, it starts so early that I, I think it's just something we're born with. And, and from this, we create gods and, you know, the whole pantheon of, of, of uh, extra, you know, supernatural and extra dimensional beings and so on, just because we can't imagine not continuing. Hmm. Do you ever okay. think that one day maybe science will bring us away to quasi-immortality? Well... Again, I uh, like everybody else. I uh, I want to continue on in my apartment, and uh, <laughs> you know, or as, as as Hitch said, you know, that that death taps you on the shoulder at the party and says you have to leave, and, and worse, the party's going to go on without you. Oh no! Uh, although, as he points out, with a lot of the versions of heaven, which he described the Christian heaven as celestial North Korea. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> well done. Well done. I mean, if you think about it, you have this all-knowing dictator that can controls your very thoughts uh that you know for for eternity that does not sound like a a place i want to go and uh you know so as he says you know worse worse than that is you know death taps you on the shoulder at the party and says uh not only uh, is the party going to go on you you can never leave it's like oh no that's even worse (laughs) (laughs) and uh so i you know it's it's hard to imagine what it would be like to live, say, 500 years or a thousand years or, or whatever. We really can't know what that would be like, um, you know. So, uh, uh, the, the end of the book, I have a whole chapter on after the, after the why we have to die chapter. So, so where do we find awe and transcendence and spirituality and meaning and purpose of life? And it turns out there's a lot of re- research on this. You know, subsequent to all the research on happiness, which has been huge in, in psychology, the whole positive psychology movement since the 90s, uh, more recently there's been research on, on the fact that it, it isn't happiness that, what really, that people really strive for. 
all of the time. Actually, most of the time, most of the stuff we do doesn't make us happy. Having children or working out or going to work or, you know, like a, uh, a classic example of being a caretaker for an elderly parent. I've done this twice. This was not fun at all. It brought me no happiness, but it brought me fulfillment. It gave me meaning and purpose. And, you know, and, and so like, you know, going out for a drink with your friends makes you happy, but caring for your parents, which isn't fun at all, gives you deeper meaning. And, and so more meaningful long-term, you know, sort of looking back into your past, looking far forward into your future, thinking about what you can do to make the world a better place. That That's actually what makes a difference in people's lives. It, it, it ends up being what gives people a, a deeper more fulfilled lives, even if they're not happy in some kind of hedonic pleasure sense of just, you know, plugging in the morphine drip and sitting there staring into your virtual reality goggles forever, that, that, that's not going to do it. Yes, come uh, on. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on now. I like my virtual <laughs> you, reality goggles. You like the morphine drip? The morphine drip is fun. <laughs> yeah, the morphine drip is flipping awesome. Actually, I prefer, uh, what was it? Demerol. Demerol. Demerol yeah. yeah, I've never – well, I've had some of that because I've had some major surgeries. After, I had a hip uh, replacement. That was the one I lasted to 94. I was <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. Um, I was super curious. In your looking into all these different subjects to write into your book, what were you most excited about researching and finding more about? An excellent question. Yeah, well, I mean all of it's pretty interesting when you start – delving into it because it's really the deepest question we can ask you know what's the purpose and meaning of life because we're going to die what you know what is what does this whole thing mean i mean the universe and all that stuff so on on the one hand there is what i call alvy's error alvy singer this is uh woody allen's character in uh, annie hall and there's a scene early in the movie where he's a boy the flashback to his childhood uh and and um his mother is screaming at him to do his homework and he won't do his homework, so she takes him to the doctor, psychiatrist or whatever it is, you know, and, and well, okay, Alvy, why won't you do your homework? Because I found out the universe is expanding. He says, the universe is expanding? He goes, yeah, it's expanding, and billions of years from now, <laughs> it's all going to rip apart, and, and none of this makes any difference at all. And his mother screams at him, you don't live – there you live we live in brooklyn and brooklyn's not expanding so go do your homework <laughs> so on the one hand you know when we talk and, and write and think about these big issues that's all fine and good it's fun uh, and it gives us some meaning but you know the, the bottom line is is tomorrow you got to go to work you got to pay your mortgage at the end of the month you know and your bills are due and the dog wants to be fed and you know this is you know we, we don't live in that world and uh, so this is what I tell Deepak, you know, he's always talking about consciousness and, you know, who, who is the I asking this? Where does red exist and how do you know? And, you know, OK, uh, this is all fun. This is like, you know, college philosophy 101 class. It's great. Uh, but at some point, you know, that's not the world we live in. So uh, it, while it's good to contemplate immortality and, and death and all that, what it, what it all means, uh, really, it's a, it comes down to kind of a practical um, set of things we should do just to make our lives more meaningful, which is just get up tomorrow and go to work. Take care of your partner and spouse and your kids and your and your dog and and you know, just do you know help you know be be with your friends and be a good person and you know those are the things the kinds of things that secular humanists talk about a lot turn out to be the best things we can do. 
to improve our lives. And, and it, it's really more about doing stuff rather than, you know, talking about what's the meaning of life. We get it. That, that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Secular humanists get it. Yeah, I, I think I think he's right. I think the fact that we know we're going to die drives us to do things. If otherwise, we probably wouldn't do if we thought time was yeah, timeless. Yeah, we get know. it. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, it kind of puts a, a period at the end of the sentence that you're driving toward. It's like, okay, you know, if you lived a thousand years, maybe you think, oh, the hell with it. I'm not going to work out tomorrow because I'm going to live that long anyway, uh, you know, or whatever, you know. So um, anyway, I, I, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a hard problem because the theists have had a uh, run of the show for you know, thousands of years, and they always turn to the afterlife and God and the supernatural you know, and our our team, so to speak, you know, we've only been a, a, around for a couple of centuries and really just a few decades in which we've had any kind of large voting block, so to speak, uh, enough people that are uh, not religious that, you know, these kinds of questions with the answers that we try to come up with, this is really important now because there's a lot of people looking for, you know, okay, I don't believe in God anymore. Now what? You know, so those of us in this community, all, all of us, you guys, podcasters, bloggers, writers, whatever, we, you know, we're, it's all on us now to, you know, really come up with some good answers uh, because more and more people, the, the, the nuns are the fastest growing group. You know, the people have no religion. And so now what? So now's the time to do this kind of stuff. Definitely. Right on. Excellent. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, but the mic is all yours, my friend. Be shameless. Go ahead and plug yourself. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so the best uh, place to, to read about uh, me and my work is, you know, skeptic.com is my magazine, michaelshermer.com. And, uh, and of course, fine bookstores everywhere carry my books. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but if people want to, actually now would be a perfect time to order uh, Heavens on Earth from Amazon or one of the other online sites because that's what, you know, that's so, so-called Matthew effect, you know, the Matthew effect to the, you know, when Jesus said to those who have more shall be given. Okay. <laughs> in, in marketing, this is, you know, this is a real thing, you know, the bestseller list. So, you know, more sales drives more sales and so mm-hmm. on. Anyway, so. Uh, in terms of like trying to make a difference, uh, you know, religious books do very well. You know, it's time for secular books to do well, too. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Excellent. So the book is called Heaven on Earth. Heaven's, Heaven's on Earth. On Earth. Heaven's yeah. on Earth uh, by Michael Shermer. Thank you so much, Michael. Before I let you go, I got to have you say, hi, I'm Michael Shermer, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Michael Shermer. What a great guy. Yes, what a great guy indeed. Yeah. We had a fun Good time interview. with him. And uh, it's the second, interview, second interview we had the pleasure of having him on the show there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, you know, uh, he does a lot of good work. He does a lot of good work, so. He does. And we'll be sh- seeing him soon again, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Welcome anytime. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Ah, well, thank you so much, guys, for being on the show with me today, even though uh, my voice is not sounding all that great. Oh, that's all right. I apologize. You rose to the occasion, and we're proud of you. Yes, <laughs> I, I certainly apologize to uh, our audience about that. So next week, we'll be talking to Phil Ferguson. We'll be talking about the whole Bitcoin phenomenon and the cryptocurrency, so that should be interesting. Yeah. 
And for February, on the 3rd, we'll have our old friend Chris Christensen, the Christian. I'll be coming into the lion's den. Oh, wow. And we'll be talking about his uh, that's thoughts always, on That's always fun. He's always so he's willing a, to, a good to talk with us. Yes, yes. He's a good person. Yes, o- he is. On the 10th, we'll be talking to our old friend David Fitzgerald about his latest book. And on the 17th, our, also our friend from uh, Alberta, Luke Feverin, is coming back to talk oh, to us. Oh, good. And here's something interesting for you guys. On the 25th, we're going to do it on the 25th. We're going to actually... Left the Valley is going to be doing a live show this at the exciting. stage in Mission. And we're going to have Dr. Veronica Drance and our old friend Dr. Del Rey. And we'll be putting to rest, once and for all, this whole transgender bigotry, Barry Newfeld, crapola that's been pervasive all over the place. Uh-huh. So we'll actually have an audience. We'll be asking questions live to the doctors. Uh, they'll be joining us via Skype. And we'll have a fun time doing it. It's an activist moment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And on March 3rd, we'll be talking to Rebecca Fox. She's an author. She wrote a bit of an atheist slash comic book. So we'll be talking to her as well about her work. Oh. So we got well, lots of things coming up. As we usual. sure do. Ah, well, the girls aren't here today, so... Does anybody want to say uh, Harry Potter or something? Harry Potter. <laughs> read Harry Potter. you got to watch all the movies, read all the books. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that one was for you, Christina. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, guys. Until next time. Something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. Now let me take a sec. Don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful. The thousands of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot free. To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them Fuck that The system is broke down Working backwards And the only action of tactic I plan to practice now Is to attack them The parties of God's hands Are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist.